We have to endure this race to the end. Endurance, <laughs> you're going to have a lot, a lot of opportunities to throw at the towel. You're going to have a lot of opportunities to give up. You're going to have a lot of opportunities to quit. I got to tell you, there's been times when, when I've looked at quitting and then I asked the question, well, what am I going to do if I quit? And the fact of the matter is, is, you know, you can't undo this relationship the Almighty has established. It's a dangerous thing to know and then to walk away from the things you know. I don't see how people can do it. So we, we need to understand that with the blessings of Jehovah comes persecution. Shalom, saints, and welcome to our verse-by-verse study of the book of Genesis. I'm your host and teacher, Arthur Bailey. Persecution comes with the blessings of Jehovah. Because of Isaac's blessings, the Philistines envied Isaac and asked him to move away from them. In the meanwhile, they closed his wells and laid claim to the wells Isaac's herdsmen dug. Ultimately, they wanted to make an alliance with Isaac because it was obvious that they could not stop him because Jehovah's favor was on Isaac. We must endure the persecution in order to enjoy the blessings. It's like eating at the table Jehovah prepares before us in the presence of our enemies as David wrote in Psalms 23. Jehovah does not add sorrow to his blessings, but people will bring sorrow. Today's study title is, Can You Stand to Be Blessed? So, let's study. As I said, the message is actually a question, and the question is, can you stand to be blessed? In a nutshell, we're going to deal with this idea of blessing, understanding that persecution comes with the blessings of Jehovah, and that's something that we really have to grasp, grapple with, <laughs> because it's coming if the blessing is assigned. Last week, we talked about the blessings of obeying God's commandments. Today, I asked the question, can you stand to be blessed? And we see that last week, Jehovah blessed Isaac. And because of Isaac's blessings, we're going to see here tonight that first he was envied. The Philistines envied Isaac because of his blessings. Secondly, they asked him to move away from them. Third, they closed his wells. Then they laid claim to the wells his herdmen dug. And ultimately, when they couldn't defeat him, when they couldn't come against him in a way that caused him to be discouraged and to disobey the Almighty, ultimately they wanted to make an alliance with him because it was obvious they could not stop him because Jehovah was with him. A few uh, months ago, maybe a year or so, we talked about that Father is with us. He's with us always. And that's so important because one thing that we're going to have to learn is we have to endure this race 
to the end. Endurance, <laughs> you're going to have a lot, a lot of opportunities to throw at the towel. You're going to have a lot of opportunities to give up. You're going to have a lot of opportunities to quit. I got to tell you, there's been times when, when I've looked at quitting and then asked the question, well, what am I going to do if I quit? And the fact of the matter is, is, you know, you can't undo this relationship the Almighty has established. It's a dangerous thing to know and then to walk away from the things you know. I don't see how people can do it. So we, we need to understand that with the blessings of Jehovah comes persecution. And though we're going to be looking in the uh, book of Genesis, I want to just take a quick moment and look at what Yeshua said in Mark 10. Yeshua said, he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, there is no man that have left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels. But he shall receive an hundredfold now in this time houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands. And here's the, the kicker with persecutions and in the world to come eternal life. And so Yeshua lays it out with his disciples because the question is, you know, We've left everything. We've given up everything. When you come into this walk, when you come into the truth, the knowledge that was delivered unto the saints, the gospel message that Yeshua delivered to the people, what you're going to find is that message is going to cost you. If you decide to accept the message and the mission that the message commissions us with, then you're going to have to give up some stuff. You're going to be faced with people who are going to have an issue with you. And it's not that you want to have an issue with people. It's people have an issue with you because you have decided to actually try to live out what's in the book. We must endure the persecution in order to enjoy the blessings. It's like I was having a conversation with Brother Ephraim last uh, Sabbath after service. And I was saying to him, you know, the hard part sometimes is, you know, the psalmist talks about, and I'm getting a little ahead of myself. I might as well put it. It's like eating at the table Jehovah prepares before us in the presence of our enemies. Now, I want you to just think about that for a moment. You got people all around you that is seeking your demise. They want you to fail. They don't want you to succeed. They're making things hard for you. They're coming against you. You've got folks who want, who want to see you fall off the face of the earth, fail at whatever you put your hands to. And Father is preparing a table for you and say, hey, take your eyes off of that. Don't worry about that. Sit down and eat. <laughs> David wrote, thou preparest the table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. And this is something that Isaac has to find out 
Abraham endured some things, but then Isaac, the Bible says in verse 12, Isaac sowed in that land and received the same year a hundredfold and Jehovah blessed him. This is not when his trouble started. His, the Bible says that a man born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble, but it was especially painful, I would say, of him that you receive a word from Jehovah. And with that word, you know, it seems as if everything is, you know, he's spoken, he's got my back, he's with me. But then trouble starts. Solomon said in Proverbs 10:22, the blessing of Jehovah, it maketh rich. And he added no sorrow with it. When we are blessed and we experience persecution and sorrow, we have to understand that this is not coming from Jehovah. It's not coming from Jehovah. How many times, I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say, you know, things were better or it seems like things were going better until I gave my heart to the Lord. <laughs> it's like, really? But that's what it feels like sometimes, you know? Now, things was bad. You just didn't know how bad they were. Now your eyes are open and you see it. It's like in broad daylight. And so the sorrow that you experience is not coming from Jehovah. So that's important for us to understand. That word sorrow is pain, hurt, toil, sorrow, labor, hardship, grievous. When you come into right relationship with the Almighty, the world around you seemingly turn against you. But the fact of the matter is that the world hasn't turned against you. You've kind of turned against the world. <laughs> you decided that you're not going to go in the same direction the world was going when you made a turn. So the world is still headed in the same destructive path that it was going in. It's just you're no longer walking with it, and that becomes a problem with those you walked with at one time. Jehovah does not add sorrow to his blessings, but people will bring sorrow. And you don't have to be rich for people to bring sorrow. There's always someone with less than you. In verse 13, and the man waxed great. So Jehovah blessed him. He waxed great. He went forward and grew until he became very great, for he had possession of flocks, possessions of herds, great store of servants, and now the Philistines envied him. In addition to, the, to Jehovah's blessing, or to Jehovah blessing Isaac, remember, Isaac had inherited all that Abraham had. And I think sometimes people don't make that connection. They think that, okay, Jehovah blessed Isaac, and he did. But Isaac, Isaac had inherited, according to Genesis 25, 5, the Bible says, and Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac. So now Isaac has got all of Abraham's blessings, and Jehovah now is blessing him in addition to all of that. The Philistines envied Isaac to the point of working against him. Now, I want you to see, I want to back up here just a moment. In verse 13, and he grew until he became very great. He wasn't just great. He was very great. The man waxed great and went forward and grew until he became very great. 
Now, it's important for you. I'm making an emphasis here because of where we're going to go here. So the Philistines envied Isaac to the point of working against him. First, they tried to cut off his water supply by stopping up the wells. For all the wells which his father's servants had digged in the days of Abraham, his father, the Philistines had stopped them and filled them with earth. Now, imagine a famine when there is no famine. Because the fact of the matter is that if you can't get to the well water, that's like, what are you going to drink? What are your animals going to drink? And he's got all of these herds. He's got all of these flocks. He's got all of these servants. Man, that's a death sentence to shut down the wells. And one of the things that the enemy tries to do is that if he could cut off your supply, then you'll starve to death. You'll thirst to death. Your demise will come quickly or swiftly unless father does something on your behalf or you fight or whatever. You would think that with those instructions, Isaac would not have any trouble or problem if he did what Jehovah instructed him to do. Isaac obeyed what Jehovah said, but then Abimelech turns around and tells Isaac that he got to leave. Now, Jehovah says, stay in the land. Abimelech says, no, leave. <laughs> so Isaac could do what Jehovah told him to do or do what Abimelech told him to do, because this is what Isaac is faced with. He chose to follow Jehovah's instructions and therefore had to endure persecution from the Philistines. But Jehovah was with him even in the persecution. And this is what you must remember, that Jehovah is with you even in the persecution. Now, it's important that you're not persecuted for the wrong reasons, you know, like being a busybody in other people's business, persecuted because you're nosy, not doing what you should be doing, because it's so important if you want the blessings of Jehovah, which comes with obeying Jehovah, that you obey the commandments of Jehovah all the days of your life. And you will have opportunities to disobey. I'll tell you, and it comes, I just had a flashback of a young man when, when uh, I left Michigan, there was a young couple that I'd been working with and was going to leave, leave the ministry in their hands because it was time for us to go. And I'd overstayed my welcome and father was trying to get me to the Carolinas. But there were some things that was, you know, I knew I was going to have to work through with him because I didn't just start practicing keeping the commandments when I came here. When it came down to unclean and uncleanness and nada and those kinds of things and teaching the things as I taught in Michigan, coming here teaching, you know, when my wife was on her cycle, her and I didn't sleep together. I didn't touch her for eight days. He had a wife who couldn't deal with him not touching her during that time. In fact, she demanded it. And so it was one of those cases where he put her before him. And I'll tell you, there are times when men will put their wives before their master, Jehovah, and wives will put their husbands before their master. There were several 
other little things that I'm trying to encourage is that you got to man up. You have to stand for what is right. And there are reasons where people now for, in his mind, Jehovah would not have a problem with him, or at least in her mind, Jehovah shouldn't have a problem if she's insecure, making her feel secure. When father is saying, listen, for this time, I believe that Nida and, and that whole period of being set apart is a time of intimacy for a husband and a wife to be in intimacy with the Almighty, <laughs> that this is his time. <laughs> it got to the point to where initially it was a little challenging, but I started looking forward to it because now, you know, I don't have to come to bed at a certain time. <laughs> I can stay up late. I can study late, you see, and leave her be. And she got to the point, my wife got to the point to where she started looking for that time because at least she knew that for that period of time, she didn't have to concern herself with her husband and his own desires. And whatever for whatever reason, it seems as if it was all orchestrated by the Almighty. There's so much stuff that is orchestrated by the Almighty for our blessings that we will never experience until we decide we're going to obey him in that area. It's amazing how people in church try to turn Jehovah's gift into a license. For instance, the Sabbath was made for man. Man wasn't made for the Sabbath. Okay, what, what does that mean to you? If the Sabbath was made for man, who made it for man? Jehovah did. So what do you mean man wasn't made for the Sabbath? Is that like saying I can violate the Sabbath? Is that like saying I don't have to honor it? Man wasn't made for the Sabbath. Does that mean that you're not a slave to the Sabbath? I mean, I, I still don't get it how people interpret that. Man wasn't made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. So, okay, now what? It seems to me if it was made for you and you reject it, you're rejecting what the Almighty made for you. If you look at it as a gift and not as a curse, Father doesn't make curses for his people. All that is good and perfect comes from him. So if he made something for us, it's good for us. In fact, it's perfect for us. Why would somebody reject something that the Almighty made for them? So Isaac chose to follow Jehovah. And when he chose to follow Jehovah, that's when he began to experience the persecution from the people in the land in which he lived. And then it got to the point to where Abimelech said unto Isaac, go from us. What does that mean, go from us? That means get out of our land. Go away from us. How can he go away from them and remain in their land? But notice what he says. And Abimelech said unto Isaac, go from us, for thou art much mightier than we. Now, if you look that up, what you'll find is that it, it indicates that there were more men with Isaac than there were in Abimelech's kingdom. 
Now, you got to understand something, brothers and sisters, because if you don't make the connection and read the sequence, Abraham, well, Isaac was very wealthy as a recipient of all of Abraham's wealth, including his men and maidservants. And Abraham had 318 trained men. Remember, Abraham went to war with five kings in their armies and defeated them and took their spoils. Isaac has inherited this army. And with all of this, it didn't stop Abimelech's men from messing with Isaac. You would think that if people knew Jehovah was with you, and you have the ability to defeat them and to beat them, that they wouldn't mess with you. You would think so. But it doesn't stop because some people just ain't got sense. They don't have common sense, you see. And when Abram heard in verse 14, Genesis chapter 14, when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his trained servants born in his own house, 318, and pursued them unto Dan. And if you read the rest of the story, he defeated them. He took Lot's family and all the souls and all the spoils that the kings had pillaged in their journey down into the land where they had captured Lot and captured the people of Sodom and the people of Gomorrah and Edma and all of the other lands that they had taken because these individuals refused to pay homage to them. And now Abraham goes to war with these kings, defeat them, take their spoils. And Isaac now has inherited this vast army. And then father continued to, he was great. He waxed great, but then he became very great to the point to where Abimelech says, I don't want you in my land. Go from us. You are much, much mightier than us. So Isaac moved from where he was, but he stayed in the land where Abraham had sojourned. In verse 17, and Isaac departed thence and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerah and dwelt there. And Isaac digged again the wells of water, which they had digged in the days of Abraham, his father. For the Philistines had stopped them after the death of Abraham. Now, they did this after the death of Abraham. See, why? Why didn't they stop the wells when Abraham was alive? Because Abraham had an army. Not only did Abraham have an army, but you got to go back and you'll see that Abimelech had made a covenant with Abraham because he saw the greatness of Abraham and decided that he would make a covenant with Abraham because he didn't want Abraham to turn on him and harm him. But when Abraham died, it's like, okay, he's out of here now. And so they begin to stop up all the wells that he had dug. And Isaac now, he opens those wells up and he called their names after the names by which his father had called them. And so he called them the same names his father Abraham had called them. And Isaac's servants, verse 19, digged in the valley and found there a well of spring and water. And so Jehovah's blessings will cause people to envy you to the point where they get jealous. They create opposition. And instead of working with you, they work against you. I could go some places, but I won't. I'll, I'll stay with the story. The herdmen of Gerard did strive with Isaac's herdmen, saying the water is ours. And he called the name of the well Essek because they strove with him. And they digged another well and strove for that also. And he called the name of it Sitna. 
Instead of fighting them, Isaac moved around and digged elsewhere until he ended up in the land where they strove not against him. And this is interesting that in verse 22, and he removed from thence and digged another well. And for that they strove not. And he called the name of it Rehoboth. And he said, for now Jehovah has made room for us and we shall be fruitful in the land. So it appears, and here's where we have to make the connection. It appears the opposition Isaac faced was designed to get him to the place Jehovah had for him in the land where he told him he would tell him. Remember in the earlier part of this chapter, a famine hit the land. In verse 2, chapter 26, And Jehovah appeared unto Isaac, or appeared unto him, and said, Do not go down into Egypt, dwell in the land. Now, the land is big. And so Jehovah says, Dwell in the land which I shall tell thee of. In other words, he's giving Isaac the impression that I'm going to show you this land. Just like, remember, he said to Abraham, leave your father's house and go into a land which I shall show you. So now Abraham has to move. He doesn't know where he's going, but he knows he's going in the right direction. And when he get to the place where father has for him, Father reveals it to him. There are times when the opposition that you are facing is designed to get you to a particular place. And we have to recognize that because Father says, dwell in the land which I shall, future tense, tell thee of. In other words, I'm going to show it to you. So now Isaac goes up from there, Gerard, to Beersheba. Beersheba has history. It is the place where Jehovah spoke to Hagar after Abraham had sent her away in Ishmael. Remember, Sarah told him to send this woman away and father told Abraham, do what your wife says and promised I'm going to bless him. And so Jehovah spoke to Hagar when Abraham sent her away because now she's at a place to where she set the boy and goes off because she doesn't want to see him die. But that was the place Beersheba. And then Abraham made a covenant with Abimelech not to attack him because Abraham had become very great. This is several chapters actually in the same chapter. And so father speaks to Hagar in Beersheba. Father causes a covenant to be made at Beersheba. Abraham planted a grove and called on the name of Jehovah at Beersheba. And now here it is, Isaac. And Jehovah appeared unto him the same night and said, I am the Elohim of your father, Abraham. Fear not, for I am with you. Now, these are words, it's like, okay, you with me, but these people are coming against me. Father allowed them to come against him until he got to the place <laughs> that he wanted him at. He used the opposition that he faced to get him to the place that he wanted him at. And he says, I'm with you. I will bless you and multiply your seed for my servant Abraham's sake. So Isaac built an altar in the area Abraham had called 
on the name of Jehovah. In verse 25, And he built an altar there, and called upon the name of Jehovah, and pitched his tent there, and there Isaac's servants digged a well. Now here in this very place, history repeats itself. You're going to find that Abraham has an encounter with Jehovah in Beersheba. Isaac has an encounter with Jehovah in Beersheba. And then Jacob is going to have an encounter with Jehovah in Beersheba. And when I did the teaching on how to hear God's voice, I used some of Abraham because in fact, what you're going to find and in true worship, where you have heard father, where father has met you at before is a good place where he'll meet you at again. And so you have to remember the places where you've had encounter with the Almighty, because if he's met you in a place before, there's a good chance he'll meet you there again. And here, Abimelech, and again, I believe this is Abimelech's son, Abimelech, because remember, Abimelech means, is twofold, Abimelech. And Abi means father, Melech means king, my father is king. So Abimelech is a title as well as a name. And then Abimelech went to him from Gerar, and now he has Ahuzath, one of his friends, and Fichol, the chief captain of his army. This is in verse 26. If you go back to chapter 21, verse 31 And prior, you're going to find that Abimelech, now notice in Genesis 26, 26, Fichol is the chief captain of his army, of Abimelech's army. And back in Genesis 21, when Abraham was alive, wherefore he called that place Beersheba, because there they swore, both of them. Thus they made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech rose up and Fichol, the chief captain of his host. So either Fichol was young under the first Abimelech and now he's gotten older, but it seems like he's got the same job, chief captain of his host. In other words, commander of the army. And they return into the land of the Philistines. And in verse 23, and Abraham planted a grove in Beersheba and called there, on the name of Jehovah, the everlasting Elohim. And Abraham sojourned in the Philistines' land many days. So Abimelech is king of the Philistines. And just as Abraham dealt with him or his father, now Isaac and Abraham made a covenant with him. Now Isaac is about to do the same thing. Isaac was surprised by Abimelech's visit. Because remember, he sent him away. And so Isaac said unto him, Wherefore come you to me now? Or wherefore come you to me? Seeing, now this is how Isaac saw him. Seeing you hate me. Why are you coming to me now? Seeing you hate me. And have sent me away from you. You didn't want anything to do with me. You didn't like me. You sent me away from you. And now you're coming to me. Why? Eventually, when people see your integrity, the blessings, humility, and fear of Jehovah, they will either leave you be or try to make a covenant or want to do business with you. This is some of the responses. Some folks will just hate you from a distance, (laughs) hate you from afar. And then on top of that, I don't know, it seems like sometimes people want 
validation for their hate so they want something negative or bad to happen to you. They want you to fall. They want you to fail. It's sad when there are people who like hearing bad news about you. Verse 28, and they said, we saw certainly (laughs) that Jehovah was with you. And we said, let there be now an oath betwixt us, even betwixt us and thee, and let us make a covenant with thee. So what is he saying? He's saying, you know, we see from Genesis all the way through Revelation that even among the people who may have issue with you, there's a voice of reason in the mix of them. Some folks are saying, you know, you need to leave them alone. You know, I remember when they were looking to persecute Yeshua and one said, look, if this is father, you can't stop it. Even with his disciples. It's like, if this is the work of the almighty and you try to stop it, you're going to find yourself fighting against the creator. And that's the way it should be. If people are fighting you because of what you stand for, That should be a fight against him unless you're standing for your own thing. But if you're standing for him and they're coming against you, then they're not coming against you. They're coming against him. Like he said to Moses, Moses, the people's problem is not you. Their problem is me. But because, you know, they can't see him, they see you as his representative. (laughs) And so we shouldn't take it personal when people come against the things that we teach and preach. Because we're not preaching our own gospel, I hope. (laughs) I hope you're not preaching your own gospel. But if you're preaching his gospel, then the opposition you're going to face is not your opposition. It's the opposition that he's already warned us that we're going to face opposition. You're going to face persecution. So what do you do? Just endure. Your wrestle, your struggle is not against people. Your struggle is not against flesh and blood. So now they come to the point to where they're having counsel. And they said, you know what? We can't beat these guys. We can't beat them. We, we've opposed them. We've covered their wells. They go and dig more wells. And it's like, what happens if they turn on us? What happens? Somebody, I can imagine these kinds of conversations where, you know what? It's obvious to us with what we have done that we can't stop them. It's obvious that there's a greater force with them than with us. So we can't beat them. Let's make a covenant with them. And so let us make a covenant with thee that you will do us no hurt. (laughs) It's like if you know these people can hurt you, why are you messing with them in the first place? As we have not touched you. Now, That's true. The whale belonged to them. Why? Because it was their land. The only land that Isaac inherited from Abraham was the field that Abraham had bought to bury the dead. Father said he was going to give this land to their descendants, but he had not given them the land yet. Abraham had paid for a piece of land, and that land he had the title deed for. But where they dug the well, that was Philistine land, and they had every right 
to cover the land, but they didn't do them harm. But the intent of covering the whales was to cause harm. You see? So they can honestly say, we have not touched you. No, we didn't touch you. And as we have done unto thee nothing but good and have sent thee away in peace. (laughs) Thou art now the blessed of Jehovah. Now remember, Isaac was more mighty than Abimelech. Instead of holding a grudge or seeking revenge or rejecting those who hated him, Isaac made them a feast. There is so much correlation between what Isaac did and what Yeshua taught. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Love your enemy. Love those who hate you. Love those who who say all manner of evil against you. And these things are not easy to do. Because we're dealing with this human nature, this fallen human nature. And the fallen human nature is something that has to be dealt with and tamed in order for us to get it to align up with the instructions and commandments that the Almighty gives us. And so instead of turning them away, he fed them. He fed those who had previously been his enemy, who strove against him, those who envied him. Verse 30, and then he made a feast, and they did eat and drink. And then they rose up early or betimes in the morning and swear one to another, And Isaac sent them away, and they departed from him in peace. And so what we see here is with the blessing that Jehovah makes available to us, we accept the instructions and decide that we're going to follow those instructions. There are blessings that that is associated with it. I can't for the life of me. I don't even understand why it took me so long to see it. But I do, I do, because I, like so many, were blinded by the teachings that I had received. I was blinded by the fact that what I had been taught was anti-Scripture. I had been taught to reject the instructions that brought the blessing and taught to look for the blessing some other way. When someone teaches us that we're not under the law, then they're teaching us we cannot lay claim to the blessings that is associated with obeying the commandments. Now, what they don't understand is that the disobeying of those commandments bring curses. And I remember when I did a teaching in a charismatic Pentecostal apostolic church when I was an elder and we had a very well-known people came from all over to our deliverance ministry. We had conferences on deliverance. We had key conference speakers who knew how to cast out devils. (laughs) And the thing about this casting out devils and deliverance The teaching that I saw emerge was you will always need deliverance. What do you mean you always need deliverance? You'll always need because once you get delivered from this, you need to get delivered from that. 
And then once you get delivered from this, you need to get delivered from that. And it was just a constant cycle of deliverance. It's like, is there ever a point when you are delivered? Because I heard the same rhetoric that you're always an addict from the world. Is there ever a point to where you're no longer an addict? Because there's a conflict in what Yeshua says and what you all are saying, whom the son sets free is free indeed. So how can you be free indeed and always a sinner? How can you be free indeed and always in need of deliverance? How can you be free indeed and always an addict? And so the teachings of the book and how it was communicated in the church seem to have conflict with me. And so here we are in this deliverance ministry, and I'm watching people night after night coming for deliverance. My pastor delivering, getting delivered, you know, folks spitting in buckets, throwing up in buckets, coughing and spitting and, and, and rolling and, 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 and all this stuff. And I'm, I'm looking at this and it's like, you know, and for some of it, I, I participated in. You got to cough from the gut. <coughs> you know, you got to go, go deep and cough up them demons. And at one point, it's like, you know what, where is that at in the Bible? I don't see these things in the Bible, but here we are participating in it. And the whole church, congregation, pastors, prophets, apostles, you know, buckets lined up all at the altar, folks cuffing, coughing, slobbering, praying. (laughs) And it dawned on me, Father revealed, you know, these folks, they don't get it. True deliverance come through obedience. Obedience to what? Obedience to my commandments. If you notice, the children of Israel didn't have demon problems. They never once had to deal with demons. Not one time. They had false prophets issues. They had disobedience issues. They had issues where they refused to obey what was instructed. And as a result of that, the curses that they experienced wasn't because of demons. The curses they experienced was because of disobedience. The demonic activity they may have experienced, which we don't see necessarily recorded, was when they went into those high places and started worshiping under the trees and, 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 and started giving their babies, you know, for sacrifices, which was totally contrary to what had been taught and given. But they didn't struggle with demons. Individuals used a couple of passages out of the New Testament about a boy who had a demon, you know, and disciples couldn't cast him out. It's not to say that people didn't have demons. It's just that I did not find where the children of Israel were struggling with demons. Nor did I find where Yeshua's disciples were struggling with demons. And so Father says, teach this message, deliverance through obedience. And here I am in a charismatic Pentecostal apostolic church teaching on obeying the commandments. I didn't even understand what I was teaching, folks. I knew what Father gave me to teach. And so I'm teaching on the importance of keeping the commandments of God and using Deuteronomy 28 in the teachings that if you obey these commands, all these blessings will come upon you. But if you disobey these commands, all these curses was upon you. And one of the prevalent teachings during the conferences was generational curses. 
I mean, the whole idea of generational curses is so much a part of the Christian culture in many instances to where when people start having systematic or systemic issues from, you know, in their line of their family line, they start thinking generational curses. And how do you break these curses, these generational curses? Well, where does the New Testament teach on curses? The only curse that Christians have a tendency to pull from the New Testament is cursed is he who hung from the tree. We're not under the curse. The curse of the law. It's like, folks, y'all don't even know what you're talking about. You're not under the curse of the law, but you're trying to break generational curses. Well, how do you get generational curses broken if you if curses is associated with the law and you're not under the law? You shouldn't be dealing with no generational curses. Shouldn't be dealing with curses at all. That's the confusion. And there's a lot of confusion. And what I was taught while I'm giving $1,000 and $6,000 and $10,000, man, I've helped buy planes in lines I shouldn't have been in, trying to experience the blessings of sowing, the reaping part of sowing, when the fact of the matter is, is that no matter how much I gave, Father's blessings is not so much in you giving while at the same time walking in disobedience to the instructions that bring the blessing. Somehow you got to get aligned with the blessing in order or in alignment with his instructions in order to experience his blessings. And as we've seen last week, Isaac said, because Abraham obeyed my laws, obeyed my commandments, obeyed my statues, obeyed my voice. And Isaac now, he's saying, if you're Abraham's seed, do what Abraham did. This is the same thing Yeshua posed to the children of Israel in his day. It says, you claim to be Abraham's seed, but Abraham didn't do that. If you were Abraham's seed, you would do what Abraham did. If Abraham is your father, you would act like Abraham. But I know who your daddy is because your fruit, tell me, that's not the fruit of Abraham. That's the fruit of the devil. You're behaving like your daddy and your daddy is the devil. And so Isaac was blessed following in the footsteps of his father, Abraham, And in verse 32, in the final verses, it came to pass the same day that Isaac's servants came and told him concerning the well, which they had digged. And he said unto him, we have found water. The place they found water, the place where they dug and found water and now got rest was in the very place that Abraham was And it was in the very place that the persecution and the opposition that Isaac experienced helped to get him to the place where now he builds an altar unto the Almighty, calls on the name of the Almighty, establishes a covenant with those who had persecuted him, find water. All this is happening on the same day. And he called it Sheba. Therefore, the name of the city is Beersheba unto this day. Now, it appears here in chapter 26, verse 33, and he called it Sheba. And he called it Sheba. Who is this? Isaac. But I want you to, I want to go back to where we looked at in Genesis chapter 21. And Abram planted a grove in Beersheba. 
and called on the name of Jehovah, the everlasting Elohim. And Abraham sojourned in the Philistines' land many days. Okay, verse 31. Wherefore he called that place Beersheba, because they swear both of them. So Abraham called that place Beersheba. And then Isaac here called it Beersheba, which I suspect that he called it Beersheba because Abraham had called it Beersheba or Sheba. Therefore, the name of the city is Beersheba unto this day. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. You can find more inspirational teachings and download our free ebooks on our ministry website at arthurbaileyministries.com. Please follow us on Facebook at House of Israel Arthur Bailey Ministries, on Instagram at Apostle Arthur Bailey, on Twitter at Apostle Bailey, and you can subscribe to our YouTube page at Apostle Arthur Bailey One. If you're in the Charlotte area, please come and fellowship with us. We'll do our best to make you feel right at home. Our address is on our website at the About link under Contact Us. Again, thank you for joining us, and until next time, Shalom Saints.